Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 35 Constantine Modesto, the Ruby Ring Enforcer. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Max Chikino's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. I'm joined by another fraternity brother who I haven't spoken with in quite some time. I think the last time you and I met, we were at a national event back in 2015. Am I correct? Yeah, I think it was Leadership Institute in Evansville, 2014. It's been a long time. It has. And since then, we've been able to keep in touch as Facebook friends. And over that time, we've learned that the other is into the hobby of Dungeons and Dragons. So I thought it'd be great to invite my fraternity brother on the show. So as we begin, first question, who are you and what is it that you do? My name is Max Cicchino. I am an audio engineer based in northern New Jersey, right outside New York City. I mainly work in audiobook narration, musical theater, and radio broadcasts. Oh, that's super cool. So have you had the opportunity to work with some pretty awesome people in audiobooks and narration and stuff like that? My work is remote. It's mostly post-production. It's after the audio is recorded. So I haven't met anyone, anyone famous personally, but I have edited the audio for tons of celebrities and famous authors. And sometimes the more high profile people will record their own stuff. Mm -hmm. I got to work on audio by Colin Malloy, the singer from the Decemberists. My company does a lot of work with Simon & Schuster Publishers. We do everything that Stephen King puts out. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah, my job is to take audio and make it sound good. So it seems like podcasting might be second nature then, if you're not already running your own podcast. I actually did... I recorded a bunch of episodes of a podcast with two other brothers from New Jersey. These two guys also are the ones who got me into D&D. Oh, cool. Yeah, we recorded just hanging out, just chatting podcast, and we also recorded a few episodes of a sci-fi RPG podcast, and unfortunately, neither of those ever saw the light of day. Mm. We just got hung up with other things. <laughs> we started a band instead, and we're in a band together for three-ish years, but I can think of no better time to get back into podcasting than right now. Exactly. And I think that's the perfect segue then for the next question, which is, do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? 
yeah, I have been playing for about five and a half years, mostly with other fraternity brothers, but a few non-brothers as well. I'm currently running a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign with three other brothers who live in New York City. Yeah, we're actually about to hit our one-year anniversary of this campaign. We started mid-May of last year. Awesome. Is it a homebrew or is it pre-published adventure? It's all homebrew. When I was learning to play every DM I ever had has always homebrewed their own world, their own campaign. That's kind of how I learned. I've checked out a bunch of pre-published adventures, and I have kind of borrowed some encounters, some larger adventures from there to put into my game, but it's all been very modular and set in my own fantasy world that I've created. Do you happen to have a favorite NPC from any one of your games, RPG, video game, etc., and why are they your favorite NPC? Ooh, that's a tough one, because I love all my children. One NPC that comes to mind just because they're really recent, my players have stumbled upon the underbelly of the local area, met up with a character named Plum. And Plum is a gnome who is, in the public eye, a butcher in a small village, kind of a drive-by town. Okay. But runs an illegal fighting ring underneath the butcher shop. Okay. So my players stumbled upon this fighting ring, and the party's barbarian went in, ended up winning the night, and that prompted Plum to come down from their hiding place and start chatting them up and giving them a small delivery mission, being obtuse about what it is they're carrying and all that good stuff. Awesome. I had a lot of fun figuring out Plum's personality and mannerisms on the fly during our last session, and my characters seemed to really like them, so yeah. An otherwise normal, oh, it's a butcher, but the butcher secretly runs a fighting ring. That's a much more interesting NPC, and suddenly your players are a lot more interested in your world, which is always a bonus and makes our lives as dungeon masters a lot easier with the player buy-in and the verisimilitude of the world and stuff. I love that you know the word verisimilitude. It's one of my favorite words. Yes, I think it was back from high school English class, and I know Matt Colville likes to use that word a lot as well. So I'm thankful to Mr. Colville and my senior English teacher for making sure that I knew what that word was. So am I. I'm a big fan of Matt Colville. I'm a big fan of Critical Role. Right on. Going off of that, that's going into one of your future questions, what I'm passionate about. And if it's okay, we'll go a little bit out of order. Sure. One thing that I love about being a dungeon master is world building. I'm sure most dungeon masters have this special place in their heart for world building. That's something that I get a big kick out of between sessions when I've sometimes I'm like, okay, time to start writing for what's going to happen next session. But then my brain just goes up off into, okay, no, I've got an idea for some world building that I'll put in right here. Exactly. I don't know if you've ever played Magic the Gathering. One time. Yeah, I've never actually played, but a lot of my friends have played. One thing that always struck me about Magic is that you have the name of the card, the picture, the art, all the mechanics, and then at the bottom you have the flavor text. And Magic is a competitive card game. It's about beating your opponent, and the flavor text doesn't really help you do that. So that got me thinking, why does Wizards of the Coast put flavor text in their cards if it doesn't help you win the game? And it's because it helps draw the players in and feel like the universe of Magic is a living, breathing world. 
that they're playing in. So I kind of treat my world building like flavor text. It doesn't necessarily have to give the PCs a mechanical benefit, but it really helps with that verisimilitude. It helps them feel like the world that they're living in and playing in goes on with or without them. There's stuff going on that they don't see. Exactly. There's always wheels that are turning, cogs that are in motion, schemes that are being hatched. Exactly. Yeah, a great example from my game is I had my players get attacked by a pair of manticores, and after they beat them, they found their nest where I just rolled on the small treasure hoard on the DMG and came up with a bunch of art pieces, a couple statuesques, you know, whatever. And art pieces in D&D have a very simple mechanical benefit. It's you sell it for gold. Right. But if I only cared about the mechanical benefit, I wouldn't be a dungeon master. So one thing I did was one of the art pieces was a gold locket with a painted picture in it. And I'm like, okay, cool. What if I put an inscription in there? So I put an inscription inside the locket that just said, to my dearest Jace, we will meet again. Love, Arthur. And now that locket is a story. Yeah, there you go. Because now the PCs are going, who are Jason Arthur? Did one of them get eaten by the manticore? And I was so happy that that specific example did exactly why I wanted it to, because at the next town, the PCs sold all of the art pieces for gold, except for the locket. Mmm, because they went to go return it? They haven't said one way or the other, but they liked the locket enough. It felt real to them, so they didn't sell it for gold. Awesome. Since we flipped out of order, do you happen to have a favorite side quest from your games, RPG, video games, etc.? And why is it your favorite side quest? I have a side quest written that my PCs haven't gotten to yet and may or may not get to. It might be something I save for another campaign. And it's actually I take a lot of my inspiration for world building and adventures from history. Because of my audiobook work, I end up reading a lot. And so many times I'll be reading something and then the wheels will start clicking like, oh my God, this would be a great adventure. Right. I start writing notes to myself while I'm reading like, oh yeah, th this, this works really well. So I have one side quest. It's based on the Great Halifax Explosion. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I can't say that I have. So it is, to this day, the largest non-nuclear explosion made by man. Okay. It happened during World War One, where a boat full of high explosives was stopping in Halifax on the way from New York City to Europe for World War One, and the ship was on a collision course and crashed with another ship in a narrow strait in Halifax, Canada. Mm -hmm. Because of the collision, the boat caught fire, the explosives ignited, and essentially wiped out a half-mile radius around it, just completely obliterated it. That's crazy. So when I was reading this book, I'm like, okay, I can tweak that into a little fantasy kind of a setting. So I have it written where it was some kind of magical weapon exploded on this boat in this city and wiped out a part of the city, but then left the area in the blast radius filled with latent chaotic magic. Oh, okay, interesting. So the PCs will be hired, or for whatever reason, they will need to venture into this closed-off section of the city to deal with the aftermath of this explosion. 
it's very cool to be able to look to history and the real world and figure out a way to mirror that in our fantasy worlds to try and problem solve and work out different solutions. So I hope that you're able to deploy that in the near future, whether that's today, whether that's tomorrow. But that sounds really cool. Thank you. All right. Well, since we've gone through our personal interview section, why don't we go ahead and make up an NPC? Okay, so I believe you said that you already had an NPC in mind that you'd like to share on the program, is that correct? Yep, this NPC is based off of a distant family relative of mine. Okay. So, stereotypical, I'm an an Italian guy from New Jersey. Of course, my family has mob connections. Oh, okay, there we go. So, like I was said, I was talking before about Plum being kind of the introduction to the underbelly. I was thinking of another kind of mafioso kind of character for an NPC. What's this character's name? I think it's going to be Constantine Modesto. Constantine Modesto. Okay, that's a very strong name. I like it. What's the ancestry for Constantine Modesto? I'm thinking halfling. Ooh, halfling. Okay. Yeah. Constantine Modesto, the halfling. They're in this organized crime group, but what is their exact job or role then? My thought is, I think they're the intimidator. You don't look at a halfling and think scary, but that's what makes them intimidating is that they are small, but can do some real damage to you if you cross them. So he is the intimidator then for the organized crime family. Does this organized crime family group have a name, by the way? Hmm. I don't have one off the top of my head, but I'll think about it. Would it be the Modestos or would it be something else? I know recently I just watched The Irishman finally on Netflix. And so Robert De Niro's character in that movie is not part of the Italian-American family, but he's like Irish-American who decides to join their organization. So is that kind of what you're thinking? Like he's an outsider who's joined the group or he's someone from literally within this family that is the intimidator? I'm thinking the former. So I'm thinking someone who joined essentially to help make his own family bring his own family out of poverty. I love starting with a story. So something dramatic. So in my head, Constantine came from a poor family, a very large family, and lived in poverty for a long time and joined the mob in order to bring them out of that. So he joined this crime family with the stipulation that he is part of the family, his family is not. So his family get left out of, you know, keep my family out of this and I'll do what you want kind of a guy. So he's bringing home the bacon, but he's trying not to get them to ask too many questions about where the bacon comes from. Correct. How old is Mr. Modesto then? I'd say he's been in the family for a long time. He joined the halfling equivalent of mid-20s. I don't remember where halfling lifespan is compared to humans, but I'm going to say he's in his early 40s. Early 40s equivalent or just early 40s for a halfling? Early 40s for a halfling. When we look at Constantine Modesto, what are we seeing? So when you look at Constantine Modesto, you're seeing salt and pepper hair, very fine, almost nobleman's type clothes, and a very visible coin pouch on his side. Any other distinctive physical features that someone would be made aware of, or is that all hidden or something? I think his default facial expression is kind of a talking out of his mouth kind of a deal. So like a little uptick on the side of his mouth. 
Actually, he probably would have a couple battle scars from getting into altercations. Let's go with he has a bit of a mangled ear. What three adjectives encapsulate Constantine Modesto? He's arrogant, he's generous, and he's enigmatic. Yeah, he doesn't give too much away. He carries himself as if you should absolutely know who he is, but you shouldn't know why everyone knows who he is. What is a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret that this character might possess? And if it's not one of those three, is there an ideal or concept that he prescribes to? He is loyal to his crime family, second only to his actual family. He knows secrets from his crime family that he uses as kind of insurance. He's confident because he thinks he knows he's untouchable. What's going to be the side quest that Constantine Modesto is going to offer? The side quest that he offers them is he needs to get a message to some people who are in bad with his crime family. By that I mean like they owe the family money or he is behind on returning a favor that they have given him. So Modesto, he wants the PCs to let this person know that this person is on Modesto's radar and he doesn't have long before Modesto pays him a visit. The side quest is a simple like, hey, go talk to this person and let them know I'm on their radar. They need to be expecting a visit from me soon, basically. Yeah, but a rub that they might be able to figure out as they're doing this quest is that the intimidation message they're giving this person is really a coded message. Modesto and this person, their relationship is not of intimidation. This is more of an ally communication that is under the guise of intimidation. So what's going to be the reward then when they succeed in delivering this on the surface seems like an intimidation but really is a coded message this person that the pcs go to meet with under the guise of oh well please don't do anything here's my gift to the family and the gift is actually the reply of this coded message so when it comes back to modesto i would say it's a message wrapped with a treasure So maybe their reward is a favor from him and the family. Ooh, okay. That is a big recurring theme in Goodfellas, Godfather, The Irishman. Favors are more valuable than money. On the flip side then, because you have to plan for it, what's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call? I'd say the consequence is they have now made an enemy of the family. The family's fingers are widespread. They now might have problems doing their adventuring duties in other places that this family has influence. Even if it's not any fault of their own, I don't know why it would happen, but something happens to this person they're supposed to meet and they end up dead or something before they can get the message to them. They're still going to get in trouble with the family or is it varying degrees of severity as far as that failure or non-completion is concerned? I would say that there's definitely multiple fail states, to quote Matt Colville. Right, exactly. Cheers, Matt Colville.
Yeah, like if they show up and this guy is dead already, then that ends up being additional valuable information for the family. If this person was murdered, okay, someone might be on to the ruse. So depending on the circumstances, Modesto, who would be the person making the contact with the PCs, might not take that information to the crime family. He might keep that under his hat and keep the PCs as informed informants for him, not necessarily informants or associates of the family. Did you review any of the other optional questions or do you feel like we've painted a pretty good NPC? I think we talked a little bit about Modesto's goals and motivations. He's trying to keep his biological family prosperous while also safe. And his general personality is if he talks the talk and walks the walk, then people are hesitant to mess with the people he cares about. He talks out of the side of his mouth, so that affects generally how he sounds and talks to people then, or does he only talk out of the side of his mouth in certain regards and he speaks normally, you know, with other people or something? I would say there's a little bit of a front that he puts forward, like maybe if he's just around his family, he kind of lets up on that a bit, but it's definitely in his professional life. He wants people to wonder about him. Has Modesto made any impact on the world? How has he shaped the local area? And are there any current problems that keep him from being a bigger player on the stage? I think he always has someone above him in the family who may or may not keep him down, almost like the Nine Hells work in D&D. All the devils keep the devils below them from climbing up the ladder. It's kind of a more mundane version of that. There's definitely a boss of this family. There's mafia politics going on. Exactly. He has definitely built up power in his local area. People know who he is, but even the people who know him know that there's a bigger fish out there. All right, perfect. Well, I think we've painted quite the portrait of a man, and I think without further ado, it's time to head into a random encounter. Let's do it. What this is now is a roleplay exercise, and I'm wondering what you think would be a better scene to play out. I've got an idea. How about Modesto? He has to meet with someone in a tavern to let this person know that he's on the family list. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I forgot I'm not supposed to curse. <laughs> we'll bleep that out. We'll bleep that out. <laughs> Uh, on their <laughs> naughty list. So you're suggesting I be someone in a bar who is passing along the message that something needs to be done about this person. So I would be within the organization as well, and I'd be passing on the information to you. Yeah, yeah, something like that. What's the name of our crime family, and who is a boss that we would both know? Let's go with the Ruby Ring. And then the boss's name? Let's go with Garnet. Yeah, I like this idea of people- Oh, with... they're all named after jewels. Yeah. Okay, so I'm the bartender. I guess, does everyone have a code name? I would say just the people within the family. So we are in a urban center, seaside town. We pan into the bar here at the dock. It's grimy. There's sailors carousing. There's music flaring up from the raucousy bards. All manner of tavern sounds going on. We can then see there's a bartender. He's cleaning a glass, but he's leaning up next to a window. And there's like a silhouette on the other side of the window whispering something into his ear. And he gives a nod. He closes the window, latches it closed. And as he's cleaning 
cleaning his glass. He's looking around the bar and he can see this halfling that's sitting on the end of the bar. And so he begins to approach the end of the bar as he's cleaning the glass. Hey, Modesto, I got word. What'd you get word about? I got word from Garnet. Says we got a little problem that needs to be resolved. And what is the name of this problem? Fishmonger down the way. Garnet says that uh, he's getting a bit uppity and making problems with the family. So says you need to go down and set him straight. Let him know who's in charge. All right. So this fishmonger kid, what are his, uh, what can I use to get to him? What would he not like to lose? <laughs> he uh, spits in the glass and continues to wipe it with his rag. Oh, suppose it'd be a crying shame if he lost his hands, can't catch no fish if he, or handle no fish if he got no hands. Say no more. And the bartender goes back to serving drinks. So Modesto, having finished his drink, walks out of the tavern towards the fishmonger, finds him. He's actually just putting down his catch into a crate in order to sell. Modesto comes up to him and says, Hey, do me a favor. Take a walk with me. We need to go across the street for a second. Uh, uh, okay, sure. And he takes the fishmonger and is actually walking arm in arm with him, like elbows linked. He goes, You know, you can't be doing what you're doing. It gets around real quick. Okay. As he's about halfway across to the other end of the street, Modesto grabs his wrist, gives it a little twist, give him something to think about. Oh, ah, ah, ow, ah, hey, quiet, ah. quiet. Don't, come on. You're all right. You're all right. It'll heal. Just don't do it again, all right? All right. Hopefully I won't see you again. And then he kind of pats him on the cheek very gently and then walks off into the crowd. <laughs> Right, and scene. Cool. Yeah, as we head into our final thoughts, what did you think of this experience of being interviewed, of making up an NPC, and getting to play out a little scene? I had a really great time. Thanks so much, Kurt, for inviting me on. How'd you think the scene we did went? I think it went pretty good. I was not expecting Modesto to go handle it himself, but of course, our mere random encounter is just that. It's random, and it's merely just one facet, one viewpoint into how the side quest could have possibly turned out. So it's up to you, Dungeon Masters, to figure out how you would implement Modesto's side quest into your world, into your story. Full disclosure, I completely forgot, realized halfway through, oh wait, I'm supposed to be getting the PCs to handle this, aren't I? Dang it. But it's improv. It's live theater, so you just go with it. Big ol' just yes and, yes and, yes and. Yeah, don't be afraid to just roll with the punches if you just have this one idea in your head of how events should unfold, then you're gonna end up panicking when inevitably the PCs, like, make a decision you weren't expecting, which happens pretty much every session I run. I go, oh, it did not occur to me that you would do it that way. That is a very good thing to do. <laughs> good on you. Well, do you have any projects, things that you'd like to plug here? Where can people find you on the interwebs and follow up with what you do? 
I'm on Facebook, Max Giacchino. I'm working on some music right now, some acoustic singer-songwriter stuff. I'm a guitarist, so look out for that. I don't have a name for the project yet, but it'll show up at some point, and I'll blast it on social media. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show, and hope to have you again sometime. Thanks, Kurt. Hope to be back sometime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcast, Google Play, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, https colon forward slash forward slash sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the podcast. To stay up to date and share your fan creations, you can like and follow the podcast on social media by searching for at Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also on Reddit, so join our subreddit community at r slash Podcast to share your art, stories, discussions, and commentary. If you'd like to hail the bard, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests, all one word, at gmail.com. I ask that you please leave an honest review on iTunes to help spread the word about the show. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Oh! Psychics, psycho